And the thing is, after all these years, I still look back with wonder. Hey there, Wonderlings! I'm your host, Angela Bowen, and guess what? I've got a special treat for you all today in honor of the first day of summer. I'm jumping ahead in time with three Wonder Years episodes. Season 2, episode 17, season 2's finale, How I... How I'm Spending My Summer Vacation, which aired on May 16th, 1989. Then moving on to Season 3, Episode 1, Season 3, Season Opener, with Summer Song, which aired on October 3rd, 1989. And then finishing up with Season 5, Episode 1, Season Opener, The Lake, which aired on October 2nd, 1991. Alright guys, let's celebrate the first day of summer. It's summertime now, Wonderlings. Also, I would love to give a wonderful shout out to the beloved Prince William, whose birthday is today. He turned 35. Don't worry, Prince William. I will be there in two months. I will turn 35 as well. <laughs> All right. All right. Don't worry, guys. Season 2, Episode 5, Just Between Me and You and Kirk and Paul and Carla and Becky will play as scheduled on Friday, so in two more days. Let's jump right into the first of the three episodes, Season 2, Episode 17, How I'm Spending My Summer Vacation, which aired on May 16, 1989. In this episode, we start on the last day of school, and Kevin is faced with some unexpected surprises. First, his dilemma, mulling over what to inscribe in Winnie's notebook, or her yearbook, I'm sorry. Then his summer plans for him and Paul are shot to hell when Paul announces he and his family are going to stay at a cabin with friends for the next six weeks. Next, we see Kevin get a sweet kiss from Kenny. Oh my goodness, can I not talk today? Get Kevin get a sweet kiss from Winnie, but right after that, she plays him hot and cold at her parents' annual luau backyard barbecue, and finally ending on Kevin's realization that all is not well with the Cooper elders. Now, I do say that I'm not going into full detail with these episodes because then we'd be here for hours on end and I don't want to do that to you guys. But usually half the time when I say I'm not going into full detail, I end up doing so anyway. I still have to learn how to not go into full detail. <clears throat> we start this episode with a home movie on a film strip last summer in the Cooper's backyard for their annual barbecue cookout luau. That happens the first week of summer vacation. We know it's last year because Brian Cooper is still alive and Winnie is dressed down in her cat's eye glasses and pigtails looking super nerdy. Everyone's laughing and having a blast. The boys, Kevin and Paul, are joking around and playing ping pong. Norma and Jack are smiling and waving with the neighbors at the camera. A great time had by all. I love seeing the interaction between Winnie and Brian. Their bond is strong here, as we see when she jumps on his back, trying and failing to get him in a headlock. Then he picks her up and, like she weighs nothing and swings her around in a circle. All we had to go on before that was the pilot. And they were like only in one scene together where he puts a protective arm around her shoulder as if sheltering her from the world. Now we're in the school hallway on the last day of school. Wow, that nine months just flew by, didn't it? What a laugh, because this Friday I'll be jumping back in time again to review Season 2, Episode 5, just between me and you and Kirk and Paul and Carla and Becky. Kevin sees Winnie by her locker alone with no Kirk drape, draping his arm over her shoulder. So I take it my boy Kirk is out of the picture. Well... I'll miss him. What a sweetheart. Kevin makes his way over to the sea of students, throwing papers and crap at each other in the halls. Someone even throws a ball. I mean, come on, kids. Take that shit outside, will ya? I'm already feeling bad for the janitor. This must be his most hated workday of the year, am I right? So he finally reaches Winnie after surviving the mosh pit of the hallway and exclaims, Isn't it great? Meaning, meaning the excitement in the air in the last day of school. 
I loved the last day of school. I mean, who didn't? You didn't have to do anything. Just hang out and chill, watching movies, cleaning out your locker, if you had them. Although, I do recall my junior year of high school on the last day, or second to last day, taking an English exam, and in the final minutes, my pencil was so dull, <clears throat> because I continued to write with it, because there wasn't time to walk up to the pencil sharpener, my words got duller and duller and bigger and bigger as I wrote. Winnie's forlorn expression leads him to ask what's wrong, and she admits that I kind of miss it all. So sentimental are Winnie, huh? He looks, he nervously asks if she'll sign his yearbook. And he squeaks up. Will you sign mine? I remember getting my yearbook in front of my crush junior year. I was so nervous. She leaves as she's heading up the stairs. She turns and looks longingly at Kevin, who beams back at her. All of a sudden, Kevin is startled by the girl in glasses and orthodontic headgear. Scary. She asks if he'll sign her yearbook, and he politely accepts her request, even though he has no idea who she is. Not sure what to write, he decides to play it safe with a short and sweet have a neat summer. Sounds good to me, especially if you don't know the person. It's a straight and to the point. Granted, it'll come back to bite him in the ass later, but we'll get to that. I wonder if her mission is to get all the 7th graders to sign her yearbook, like Melissa Joan Hart's character from Can't Hardly Wait. Who throws out a yearbook? These are memories frozen in time, people! I love that movie. That's right, it's all about the memories. So we see Kevin go through the rest of his classes, and Jim, in gym class, or P.E. Phys Ed, Physical Education, in gym class, <laughs> Mr. Cutlip gives them an end-of-the-year speech how they've worked together, they've played together, creepy, they've learned together. He explains it hasn't been easy. He's had to push and yell and even double-knot his hard shoes and kick them square in the fanny. Very creepy. As he quickly chuckles and straightens, he tells them it's been worth it. 38 weeks ago, they arrived there a ragtag bunch of softies. Now they're leaving a hard-boiled cadre of young athletes and that's something to be proud of. Excuse me. <clears throat> wow, Cutlip is really laying it on thick for these boys. He goes on to tell them that this summer, when you're out there, as he nods toward the doors leading to the outside world, think back on the guy who made it all possible. Ed Cutlip. Human being, a man, an educator. He goes on to feeling sorry for himself, <laughs> telling them that he didn't go on to get that master's degree, but he was fair. At this, he breaks down into sobs, covering his mouth and turning away, as the boys look on helpless and in disgust. Luckily, someone breaks the uncomfortable silence by ralphing all over the floor. Cutlip collects himself rather quickly and tells the kid to grab a mop, and then for the rest of them to run 60 laps. That's 6-0, he emphasizes and tell the, tells them no shirking as he blows his whistle. I hated running laps, and whenever the teacher's back was turned in 8th grade, me and my friend would like slow down to a crawl. He always caught us, though. He was a cool guy, Mr. Smith. Now we move on to English class with the beloved Miss White reading the end of The Great Gatsby. She asked them if they could feel the sensual power of Fitzgerald's imagery. And we see Kevin practically ramped up and ready to go, gripping both sides of his desk as she gives him the nod or the look. She tells them before the bell rings that she has an announcement and she looks out on the class and tells them, I'm in love with Kevin Arnold and she doesn't care who knows it. Oh, Kevin! She cries out in ecstasy. Of course, this is Kevin's fantasy playing out in his mind as we see him practically launch out of his desk crying, Miss White! She looks at him in surprise and says, Yes, Kevin? We see him standing up, gripping the sides of his desk. He asks her to repeat herself and she tells him, I'll be getting married this summer and when I come back in the fall, you'll all be calling me Mrs. Heimer, as she writes it on the board. Kevin is outraged at this as he imagine her, imagines her in a buttoned-up white high 
ruffled collar shirt. Underneath, a light pea-green suit, and her hair is pulled back in a tight bun. She's donning school marm black glasses on a chain. Real old-timey teacher, old maid, needs a good roll in the hay to loosen her up. Strict kind of teacher look. In science class, the teacher is just chillin'. Well, he's played by Ben Stein. He's just leaning back in his chair. Some opera music or something is playing on the record player. Basically, this class is just a place to do nothing and fuck around. We see Paul balancing a pencil in the space between his the bottom of his nose and his upper lip. I've never tried. I don't think I've ever tried. No, I've not tried that. Kevin tells him to get his bike ready tomorrow. He'll get his tent out of the garage... Paul just looks at him with a solemn look on his face, telling him, We have to talk. In the hallway, Kevin can't believe his ears. Kevin, Paul's going, Paul's going away for the summer, and he asks Paul, Why didn't you tell, why are you just telling me this now? And he informs Kevin that the Schwartzes, the people his family's sharing the cabin with, kept changing their minds. <clears throat> Paul tells him, it's not that bad. They'll only be gone until Labor Day. And Kevin scoffs. That's like basically the whole summer. And Paul tells him, well, not technically, because summer goes until September 21st. Paul, really? Paul admits, okay, it's the whole summer. But that he's going to have a lousy time. And Kevin asks where he's going to be staying. And Paul tells him, Lake Cohasset. Kevin ticks off on his fingers all the activities Paul will most likely be doing. Swimming, fishing, sailing, and water skiing. He tells Paul, why don't you just admit you're going to have a good time? And when that doesn't work, he asks Paul, okay, tell me one thing that will make it lousy. Paul chimes in with, mosquitoes. What? With all that standing water and how many diseases they carry? Of course, not the West Nile virus yet. Kevin shrugs it off and then tells him at least they can hang out at the barbecue tomorrow night. And Paul says, sure. But then he realizes, oh, actually, we head out of town in the a- tomorrow in the afternoon. The next day. And Kevin suggests later tonight. To which Paul admits, I still have to pack. Okay, wait, 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 wait. Let me get this straight here. You're going away for eight weeks starting tomorrow and you waited to the night before to pack? Okay, who does that? Seriously. Why? His mom didn't pack his stuff for him? That's crazy. You're, I mean, you're literally bound to forget at least a handful of things. Come on, Paul. Seriously, I expect more from you than this. <coughs> in the cafeteria, Kevin sees Winnie at a table across the way, mulling over what to write in his yearbook. And then Kevin gets the courage he needs to write something amazing in hers. And then adding the cherry on top, adding, I love you, Kevin. Red flag! Red flag! He's really putting himself out there with that. He goes over to her table, hands her yearbook back to her, and she in turn gives him his. Kevin tells her he tried not to hog up too much space. Yeah, right. He practically wrote her a novel on one page. She walks away and he takes his yearbook back to his seat, bursting at the seams to get those juicy words. Only to be shocked when he finds out that she just wrote, Have a neat summer. Well, you know what they say. What goes around comes around. He quickly flips through the rest of it thinking, Well, that can't be it. Maybe it's somewhere in these other pages. Yeah, I don't think she would have started writing one thing and then wrote more on another page. Then the bell rings and the kids pour out of the doors of the school like it's 4 a.m. on Black Friday at Walmart. In the Arnold kitchen the next day, on the official first day of summer vacation, we see an aerobics instructor on the small TV. Yet nobody in the house is doing the twists that he's demonstrating on the screen. We hear Norma tell Kevin it's starting to clear up, and she asks him if he wants to get dressed and do something. She says the barbecue tonight will cheer you up, and then he informs her, I'm not going, and she exclaims, What? Why not? And Kevin just shrugs his shoulders saying he doesn't feel like it and he wants to stay home. She tells him he should go. He whines, Mom. And then Norma explains that the Coopers are expecting them, especially this year, you know, with Brian being gone. They really need to kind of keep up the norm or or whatever you want to call it. She puts her foot down and tells him he's going no excuses. 
Kevin continues to piss and moan, asking why they can't go on vacation, and she tells him, well, maybe next year. More like next season with season three's episode Summer Song, which reminds me, how in the hell does Paul end up going with them if he's at the lake with the Schwartzes till Labor Day? Hmm. But we'll get into that shortly in the next episode. He tells her it's not fair. He has nothing to do. As Wayne and Jack come into the kitchen. Of course, Jack overhearing this. Jack asks, what was that? And Kevin stutters, but Wayne jumps in with a, I'm not sure, but it sounded like I have nothing to do. Nothing to do? Jack repeats, oh boy, you're in for it now, Kevin. Should have kept your mouth shut. Jack pulls up the garage door, and we see, well, first of all, someone's got a hoarding issue they need to address because there is shit crammed to the rafters in all four corners of that garage. Glad that's not me. It's a shame. He doesn't have to, ha he doesn't have any music to work by. I mean, seriously, that would help. If I'm doing the dishes, if I'm doing some form of cleaning, whatever, I have music to listen to. You know, it helps. It, it kind of breaks up the monotony, you know, of just the boredom. He explains to Kevin that he's to start in the corner and work his way to the center, then sweep it out and hose it down. Then he adds, after that, we'll see about the attic. They have an attic? Have they ever shown it on the show? I really can't remember. A little while later, Kevin has pulled some stuff out of the garage, and now it's in the driveway, along with the stuff he pulls out a lawn chair and reclines back in it, wearing this dirty-as-hell scuba mask on his face. Ugh. Like, that should have been washed. I wouldn't want that disgusting thing on my face. When he comes up, and he pulls it off the top of, onto the top of his head. Still angry over the whole yearbook thing, he asks what she's doing there. She tells him she was just taking a walk, needing to get out of the house, and offers to help him work on the garage. I would have taken her up on it. Like, yeah, you can help me out. He tells her he can handle it as he gets up and tells her, it's all part of my really neat summer. And then he does, like, some form of jazz hands, like, ooh. I'm surprised he doesn't do air quotes, but that didn't become popular until, according to Wikipedia, the 90s. Oh, she mumbles, embarrassed, and she tells him maybe they can talk about it at the party. Kevin tells her he doesn't think he'll be there. And again, she says, oh. This really gets Kevin fired up as he lights into her, asking if she showed it to anybody. She asked, showed what? He tells her, well, the yearbook, what he wrote. He tells her she can just forget it because he didn't mean a word of it. Suggesting she rip out the page and throw it in the garbage, he goes to continue, but she silences him with a kiss. Second kiss! Although the first one from the pilot is more iconic than this. When she pulls away, he has this shocked and confused look on his face, but then she takes off down the driveway and across the street. After she leaves, Kevin just stands there thinking back on their first kiss last fall when her brother Brian died and how since that day he'd been wanting to kiss her again. Now we get a montage of Kevin getting ready for the barbecue cookout at the Coopers. We see a shot of the shower curtain, steam billowing out overhead, and then Kevin wipes the fog and condensation away from the mirror and starts combing back his wet hair as the song, Come on baby, light my fire, plays overhead. He then decides whether he should do the top button up or unbuttoned and goes for unbuttoned. Then he raids Jack's aftershave collection and spritzes himself Rubbing it all over his face. Like, really rubbing it in, almost like he's rubbing proactive on his face. To clear up his skin. Uh, I don't think it, does it go on your, I thought it was more like, around your neck area. Or, I guess maybe your cheeks. But he's like, scrubbing it into the, or, the, <laughs> into his skin. Alright, it's party time at the Coopers as the Arnold clan shuffle out into the backyard. Uh, I just want to state that um, Karen and Wayne, you don't see them for the rest of this episode. It's like, where were they at this party? They looked, boom, we're out of here. Kevin heads over to Winnie, who takes a whiff of the air, asking what's that smell. It's like a saddle. And Kevin sheepishly admits it's his aftershave lotion that he put on after his shower. To which he quickly suggests, I, I can go wash it off if you like. Winnie says, it's fine. Hmm. He asks if she wants to sit down, and that's when her mother calls her and she hands the condiment 
tray to Kevin, telling him to take that over to her father, who's manning the grill. After dropping that off, he turns around and then he... His dad stops him, and he's brought over Mr. Irwin, who offers Kevin a job mowing his lawn, which is apparently the size of Texas. God, I pray he's on, he owns a riding mower. He tells Kevin that Jack told him he's looking for work, and Jack just smiles down at Kevin like, You thought you were just going to loaf around all summer? No, guess again, buddy. With Wendy running back and forth between her parents, getting this or delivering that, Kevin finally corners her by the record player asking if she wants to take a walk. But right away, her mother shanghais her into another mission, sending her over to her father to deliver the hot dog buns. Something's going on with Mr. and Mrs. Cooper. I bet anything their marriage is in serious strife due to Kevin's death. Based on the fact they can't be bothered to talk to each other, using Winnie as the go-between. Kevin again attempts to get Winnie alone, and when that fails, Kevin gets fed up and asks when they are going to have some time alone. Kevin, can't you see she's busy being the messenger between her parents? She doesn't have time for you and your issues right now. She promises him soon. She's just busy. We see Kevin hanging back in a long chair after eating hamburgers and hot dogs one after another as the song, I only have eyes for you, plays overhead. He sees Winnie and gets in her face asking, what's with her? And she just turns and looks at him forlornly. I feel so bad for her. What she must be going through and has been going through since Brian's death. Her brother being the all-American golden boy slash rebel. And Winnie, now a mere afterthought. I don't think the Coopers should have had this party. What with all the crap going on? I know it being the time and all how one must quote-unquote keep up with appearances, but anyone can see that they're miserable and poor Winnie is caught in the crossfire of it all. <clears throat> mm, sorry. He continues his tirade, how first she likes him, then she doesn't, then she kisses him, and after that she acts like he doesn't exist. She's been doing this all year. If she likes him, she should say so, but if she doesn't, don't pretend like you do, she, he tells her. Get a clue, Kevin, okay? It's not always about you. He is so damn selfish. When he turns and tells him she has to go away this summer with her mom to stay at her aunt's house in Maine. What? Kevin exclaims. I don't believe this! As he turns and throws his hairs in the air ex exasperatedly, he whirls around. What about my summer? Yeah, Kevin, what about it? Who? fucking cares other than you me 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 that's all he cares about is himself why can't he open his eyes and see how much pain when he's in well, maybe because he's the 13 year old boy and he hasn't yet learned empathy he's yelling at her now how paul's going away with his parents and now you're going away with your mom and then it dawns on him as when he takes off out of the backyard how interesting that all the adults are still dancing oblivious to the teenage boy having a melt down screaming fit nearby even jack or norma don't even step in maybe to put a hand on his shoulder calm him down kevin glances around at the happy couples dancing and stops at his parents content in each other's embrace all i was thinking when i saw that i'm like oh they're gonna get some later that night they're gonna get some later that night <laughs> all those happy couples but wait a minute as he zeroes in on Winnie's mother staring off into the distance and then across the yard, Winnie's father is still manning the grill. Like a boss, I might add. He's not even cooking anything. He's scraping the grill with a spatula. He'd rather do that than dance with his wife, huh? That's sad. Brian's death really hit their marriage hard. He wonders... Kevin wanders out front and spots Winnie sitting near the steps of her porch in front of their house. He wa walks over and stands in front of her pondering the right words to say to her. Something wise. He settles on an apology. When he looks at him and asks if he'll write her, and he tells her, sure, as he sits down next to her. She looks him in the eye and says, I miss my brother. And I should whisper, yeah, Kevin agrees. My heart is really breaking for Winnie in this moment. Her whole life has been turned upside down from her brother's death nine months ago to her parents' marital strife and possible separation. 
that's a lot for any child to have to deal with. They should be sending her to a therapist or a psychologist to get her feelings out and to process everything before it comes out in harmful harmful ways. <clears throat> the song Scarborough Fair by Simon and Garfunkel plays overhead as we see Kevin put a comforting arm around her shoulder. Because honestly, actions speak louder than words, and really, what else could be said in the moment? Adult Kevin comes on and narrates as the camera pans outward that summer kids everywhere that summer kids everywhere swam, water skied and sailed, while Winnie Cooper struggled to keep her head above water, and a family torn apart by anger and grief. I pretty much stayed close to home. I mowed Mr. Ehrman's lawn, I went fishing with my dad, I watched a man walk on the moon. I considered myself pretty lucky as we see the Arnold's backyard and Kevin sprawled out on a lawn chair, napping with an Archie's comic covering his face from the sun, and then the credits appear. This is my favorite quote, too, which I, I just mentioned the narration of Kevin. All right, who was the worst this episode? I'm giving it to Kevin. He was very selfish, thinking over only of himself and what about his summer. But he finally comes around at the end of the episode when he finally opens his eyes and sees the plight, which is Winnie's family situation, and offers her a shoulder hug. Alright, Far Out Threads Award goes to Winnie in her cute, shoulderless top. Really pretty and goes great with the luau theme. <coughs> the Flower Power episode rating. I'm giving this episode 4 out of 5 Flower Power petals from, for the last day of school. For Kevin pouring his heart out into Winnie's notebook. For Jack enormous slow dancing. For Kevin finally comforting Winnie at the end of the episode. I knocked off one pedal. For Kevin being a selfish whiny little bitch. All about me, 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 my summer, my plans, etc. For best song, I chose Scarborough Fair over I Only Have Eyes For You. Because it gave a melancholy feel to the summer ahead. Here's trivia for the episode. Once school is out and Kevin is at home, he is watching exercise guru Jack Lalane. Lalan? Alright, let's not waste no time and jump into season three, episode one, Summer Song, which aired on October third, nineteen eighty nine. The Arnold family and Paul Pfeiffer traveled to Ocean City for a little fun in the sun. However, once there, no one really seems to be having any. Paul's allergies flare up, and Wayne and Karen's attitudes are making it nothing like the family trips from long ago. Kevin is still stinging from the news that Winnie Cooper has a new boyfriend until he meets a cute but older girl named Terry. We start the episode with an introduction from Kevin narrating how a lot of things had changed towards the end of that long summer of 1969. The song Spinning Wheel by Blood, Sweat, and Tears plays over a montage of the first man on the moon making a footprint, a movie poster for the controversial film I Am Curious, a film in yellow, shorter skirts, the Mets baseball team headed for first place, Peter Max artwork, Richard Nixon saluting, Woodstock becoming a household name, Vietnam, Sesame Street premiere as we see big birds skate by on speed by on roller skates and Winnie's Winnie Cooper's dad moves to Chicago so the inevitable did in fact happen as we probably all predicted it would after the finale of season two we begin with Jack calling out if everyone's ready to go he is loading out the luggage in the back of the station wagon it's packed to the gills nowadays Nowadays, couldn't a person be pulled over for that obstruction of view or blind spot? I mean, yeah, he's got his side mirrors, but he's covering up his blind spots. What if he needs to switch lanes? He's on the ex or just switch lanes in general on, a on any road. Already, Karen is bitching about going, stating that she is 17. Jack looks at her and says, So? What 17-year-olds don't take family vacations? I don't know. I didn't know there was a cutoff date. My nephew is over 20, and he went on a vacation with his mom and younger siblings. Norma comes out calling for Wayne and asking where he is. She doesn't have to look far as she peers in the back seat, and we see Wayne making out with a girl, but no, 
not just any girl. It's his girlfriend, Dolores, played by a young Juliet Lewis, fresh off of National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, and a short-lived TV sitcom called I Married Dora, and just before starring alongside Robert De Niro and Nick Nolte on the big screen in Cape Fear. <clears throat> Norma tells him it's time to say goodbye to Dolores, and Wayne rolls down the window, turns to her smiling, saying, that's what we're doing. Jack tells him to get out of the car, and he yanks open the door, and Wayne gets out. Adult Kevin tells us two weeks ago, Wayne met the girl of his dreams only to be torn apart to go on this vacation. I'm sure she'll be there when he gets back. I don't think she's going to up and die on him. Just then, we hear Paul's voice. Hey, Mr. Arnold. Sorry I'm late. As the camera pans over to Paul, wearing dark shades over his glasses and smiling, carrying a heavy, almost bursting at the seams suitcase. So, almost six months have passed since season two ended in May of 1989, and season three kicked off in October of 1989. Obvious physical changes have taken place for actor Josh Saviano in almost half a year's time. For one, he's got braces on his top teeth, and his voice has changed. It's gotten deeper as well, as it looks like he grew a couple, couple inches, too. Wayne tells his dad he's not going, and Jack just looks at him saying, you want to stay home and get a haircut? His hair, BT dubs, isn't even long enough to be considered a mullet, let alone a mini mullet. And at this suggestion, Wayne surrenders and Jack orders everyone in the car. Paul pipes up about his suitcase and the camera pans down to show his bursting at the seams suitcase. And Jack just shrugs it off, assuring Wayne they'll have plenty of room. Oops, sorry. They show Kevin hanging back on the porch, flipping through a comic book and thinking how he didn't really want to go on the trip either, but he was getting tired of the old neighborhood. What the hell? He doesn't even get up to greet Paul. He just hangs back. That's kind of rude. Especially since Paul or Kevin threw that hissy fit when Paul told him he was leaving for Lake Cohasset the next day to timeshare with the Schwartzes until Labor Day. Let's get into that issue real quick. What happened there? Did the Fifers and Schwartzes get sick of each other halfway through the vacay and then decide to bail, cutting it short? He pulled, I mean, he must have, like, just got back from the trip and like, Hey, I got my suitcase. It's already still packed from when I left the Lake Classet. I'm ready to go. He pulls, Kevin pulls from the letter from Winnie that she sent him. And reads it, mentioning how she met someone while staying with her mother at her aunt's house on the beach named Chip. And how he's training for the Olympics. Really? 13-year-old training for the Olympics. I bet he's training as a swimmer. Maybe a surfer. I don't know. Kevin gets up from the stoop and heads toward the car. Comics tucked under his arm and we hear Jack yell at Wayne to come on! The family's in the car and Paul is sandwiched in the front seat between Jack and Norma. Would that be allowed nowadays? What's the age for kids to be allowed in the front seat? I did look it up when I wrote these notes, and it says it varies by state, but they should be over 12, which Paul is 13, and they should weigh between 70 and 80 pounds, which Paul's a skinny guy, but I think they'll be alright. I'm so happy I grew up in the 80s when we didn't have all those overly safe way of thinking. Like, to the point on, it's now based on paranoia. Wayne, always the instigator, shoves Kevin's shoulder and fi Kevin fires back, what did I do? Kevin tells him, you crossed the line. So Kevin scooches over practically onto Karen's lap because she's there too. I hated being in the middle. I don't know. Who wants to be in the middle in the back seat between two people? I would rather be on the end able to look out the window. Boys, there is not enough room for your brotherly antics back there. Boundaries? Boundaries, they say. There's no room for those... There's no room really for them three to be there. They're apparently stacked on top of each other. It's so tight back there. I mean, maybe when they're little, they have plenty of space. But you got two grown boys and an 18-year-old girl. Yeah, there's not much room to even move your legs. Norma tries to break up the tension by suggesting they play the alphabet game, and the kids aren't having it. And neither is Jack, who just looks at her like, Huh? Are you serious? <laughs> she starts with A as in Danville and B and C as in Block, and then she asks who's next. If they were taking a trip today, they'd all be plugged into their electronic devices. I bet 
Jack would even, even though he probably already knows the way to uh, Ocean City, he'd probably have uh, Siri giving him the, the directions. Kevin brought comics, and there isn't even enough room for him to spread his arms to turn the pages. What a waste. Reminds me of the Tiny Toons uh, movie, How I'm Spending My Summer Vacation, where Plucky the Duck goes on a trip with Hampton the Pig and his family to some amusement park and brings along his comics, and then Hampton gets sick from reading in the car and throws up all over, which could then coincidentally happens to Paul from being in the front seat, although it's not from reading comics. Paul covers his mouth, and Jack looks at him, asking if he's alright, and he tells them he's going to be sick. Then Jack quickly pulls over. If that were me, I wouldn't even have time to mention I'm sick. My vomit would probably be seeping through my fingers as I cover my mouth. In fact, I remember that happening almost two years ago when I ate a McDonald's cheeseburger right before Christmas of 2015. And, um... Yeah, I honestly, I have... That hadn't happened before, and I have yet to have a hamburger since at Mickey D's. Although, I'd never, like I said, I never had a problem before then. They arrive in Ocean City, where Jack and Norma spent their honeymoon back in 1949. So, 20 years later, they come back. Jack complains, 48 bucks for two lousy rooms? What happened to this place? Did he not make reservations ahead of time? Could you not do that in 1969? Just call him and say, hey, I got a couple, uh... Rooms I want to get for the weekend or whatever. Too bad he didn't have the internet. He could have checked the reviews and gotten the rates to find out what a shithole the motel had become. Kevin tells Paul not to worry that by the time they check in, everyone will be in a great mood. Jack opens the door and we see two single beds. What the fuck? Two single beds for four kids? No fucking way. I seriously hope they brought sleeping bags. Jack mentions how he needs a drink, and then we get a close-up shot of an accordion player in a restaurant playing some pirate theme, and we see everyone dressed up for bun- I- dinner, I'm guessing, and Norma suggests that the Cape Cod looks fun, and Jack gripes at the price. Four dollars for a lousy piece of fish? How much do you think those prices would be today? All right. Why didn't they just hit up a Mickey D's? It's 1969. I'm sure they existed then. Or other fast food joints. Maybe a BK? Burger King, maybe? It'd be cheaper and more affordable. He'd be saving money. Why do you gotta go to these fancy schmancy places? Kevin asks for the barnacle bucket, handing his waitre- uh, menu to the waitress, dressed in a pirate wench's outfit, complete with cardboard hat. We see the older Arnold kids, and of course, who has to start complaining right away but Karen, calling the place embarrassing. Norma chastises her. Karen? It's just so... Karen continues, but is silenced by Jack slamming his drink down on the table, demanding that they all have fun because it's costing him a damn fortune. Nothing makes a person want to have more have fun more than their parent guilting them into it by informing them that it's breaking the bank to go on vacation. I wouldn't be surprised. My dad probably said that. We never went on vacation, though, so. Kevin, I didn't actually go on a real family vacation until I went with Jeremy, you know, my husband, back in 09. I went on my first plane ride and everything. I mean... I went on some uh, vacation with my friend Jerry and his family to Mackinac. That was kind of cool. Kevin assures Paul that once they, blah, 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 once they get to the beach, it'll be great suntans, body surfing, bikinis, Paul says, smiling. <laughs> now we're at the beach and we do, in fact, get a shot of a couple ladies in bikinis jogging past. Wayne, of course, like the big perf he is, has got his vinoculars set right on them. Wouldn't that warrant a call to the police if you saw someone with binoculars at the beach nowadays? Who am I kidding? Everyone's got a cell phone. They'd be taking videos. Pervies. Norma and Jack get the spot set up with a blanket and an umbrella. Norma looks over at Paul and gasps audibly. His neck and face are covered in tiny red like red welt-like hives. She asks if he's okay and he tells her he's fine. Why? She tells him, well, it's your face. He looks like he's got a sunburn. Kevin tells her, how could he have a sunburn? We just got here. Paul touches his face and asks them, is it red? And Norma and Kevin nod. And blotchy? Paul adds, they nod again. He flips up his shades and tells them, this is not good. 
In the bathroom mirror, Paul repeats this. This is really not good. Excuse me. As he looks at his reflection and he realizes it must have been the fish he ate the night before. If Paul's allergic to everything as quoted in the pilot, then why did he order fish? He should have let the Arnolds know. Worried Kevin asks if they need to call an ambulance and Paul tells him he'll be fine in a day or so. And Kevin says, that's the entire vacation. Well, now Paul's out of the out of commission for the rest of the episode. The next day at the beach, Jack and Wayne argue over the proper length of his hair and what constitutes his lung, and he brings up the guy that Karen was talking to. Jack jumps in with, who was Karen talking to? And Norma tells him just to have a good time, how it's the last summer they have together before Karen goes off to college. And we see Karen on a blanket by herself a few yards away, complaining about, why are there so many flies? Then she grabs her portable A-track player and walks off. Kevin, fed up with the constant arguing, gets up and takes a walk. While walking, he thinks back on his younger years when he and his family took trips to the beach and how much fun it was. He sees a hat being blown away and grabs it. Suddenly, a girl calls out for him to return her hat. Then we see the camera slowly pan upward on a young girl about 15 with strawberry blonde hair. She looks like a young sissy spacex from Carrie as the song Good Vibrations by the Beach Boys plays. She calls him Brown Eyes and asks what his name is and he tells her, Kevin. She tells him, mine's Terry with an R.I. And he tells her that that's pretty. As he thinks she's way out of his league, he turns to go. She asks his age and he tells her, 14, even though he's 13, and she tells him to get, um, she says to guess her age, and he says, well, she's too pretty to be just 14, and she tells him she's 15. He tells her, I would have guessed that. She jokingly smacks his leg, telling him, sure he did. Aw, teenage flirting, how adorable. She asks if he wants to sit down, he happily obliges sitting next to her, grinning at the thought of an older woman being into him. Now the family is back sans Paul at that damn fish place for dinner. Wayne's slurping away at his drink as Jack gives him the evil eye. As Karen comes strolling up and sits down, Jack demands to know where she's been and she says, out. He lays down the wall with her and says, from now on I want to know where you go, when you go. Karen angrily gets on his case saying, I didn't even want to come on this trip in the first place. And then when he tells her to have fun, she tries to have fun, but then he gets mad at her all over again. Karen tells him she hates this and gets up and leaves. And Jack wipes his mouth with his, na his napkin quietly, telling everyone he'll be right back. I guess he's going to smooth things over with Karen because the look on his Jack's face when she leaves, he just looks so resigned. It's like, you know, I, I give up. I, I just give up. Kevin asks Norma if he can go to the pier the next night, and she kind of gives him the third degree. I mean, he is only 13, and even today, I don't think a parent would let their 13-year-old wander around an unfamiliar area by themselves. What about Paul? What's going on with him? He should spend some time with Paul. I mean, he's got to be shut in the motel for the next couple of days. Jeez, I would have had his parents just come and get him. Whoopsie, sorry about that. I hit the microphone there. Kevin mentions how he would be alone. He wouldn't be alone. He'd be with Terry. And Norma asks who that is. A boy you met on the beach? Kevin tells her, not exactly. Wayne pipes in. It's probably some bimbo. Kevin tells her, she's not a bimbo. And then Wayne has the nerve to ask for a beer. He's like 15. She tells him to head back to the room. Norma looks at Kevin and makes him promise to be back by 9.30. And he smiles, thanking her, and then gives her a quick peck on the cheek, and then zips out the door. So, what, does she pick up the check? Has the meal already been paid for? I mean, I feel bad for her. Well, at least one of the Arnold kids is having a good time on the vacation. Now Kevin's walking on the pier or, or the boardwalk, looking around for Terry, and he spots her waiting on a bench. He goes up to her and says hi, then we go into a montage of their date while Wouldn't It Be Nice by the Beach Boys plays overhead. They go on the bumper cars, play the crane game, they play skee-ball, they walk along the pier eating cotton candy, and then they hop in the photo booth taking pictures. Kevin tries his hand at the crane game one more time and ends up winning the stuffed frog. Then he surprises her with it and she kisses him on the cheek and thanks. They're walking along, Kevin's distracted by the pictures, and she tells him how she's going to name the frog Brown Eyes after him because he's ugly and covered in warts. Like, you know, she's trying to get his attention. 
And then finally she says, Earth to Kevin. He tells her, oh, I'm listening. I'm just looking at the pictures. And she says, you know, that's all you've been doing for the last hour. Kevin tells her how he thinks they look good together in the pictures. And Terry tells him how he seems really mature for 14. And he tells her, she does do. She does, too, for being 15. He asks if that bothers her, and she smiles. Yeah, it really does. Then she smiles and ruffles, her, ruffles his hair. Now it's dark, and they're sitting in the sand underneath the pier. Terry tells him she loves the beach, and Kevin agrees, and she asks if he comes there every year. And he tells her, mm, no, my parents spent their honeymoon here. She tells him it must be very romantic. He just shrugs at this. You know what I feel like doing brown eyes, he asks. She asks, and he asks, what? And then she kisses him on the cheek and then pulls back, telling him, that's what. Then she leans forward, and they both tilt their heads and their lips touch. Now, the Netflix description for this episode says it's Kevin's first French kiss. Now, call me crazy, but I'm pretty sure a French kiss requires one to open one's mouth while kissing the other person, allowing their tongue to enter and the other... The other person's mouth and vice versa. That was a closed mouth, tight-lipped kiss. I didn't see that here. I didn't see any tongue. Not that I was ogling or anything. I remember my first French kiss with a guy. I was 17 going on 18. She gets up and runs out from under the pier into the moonlight. Kevin dazed gets up and follows her. In his mind, he's planning to ask her to wait for him until after junior high, then they can get married. Wow, that must have been some kiss, apparently. He calls her name, and she turns, and he nervously is wringing his hands, stuttering his words. Then he asks if she wants to go rafting the next day. She tells him she'd love to. He smiles, telling her it's a date. Then she breaks the news that they don't do much rafting in Al Albuquerque. He repeats it. Albuquerque? Not understanding. And she tells him how she and her dad are leaving tomorrow because her dad got called back early. He must be like in the armed forces or some other branch of service. He asks her why she didn't tell him and she says, Would you have had any fun tonight if I did? He mutters, Probably not. She tells him she has to go in now and he says that, So that's it? And she tells him, I'll miss you. And he scoffs, Yeah, sure. She tells him, she promises to write him, and she asks, didn't he have a good time? And he tells her, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I had a great time. He smiles and offers to walk her home, and she tells him, that's okay. I'd rather remember him just as he is, just as you are, with that big smile and big puppy dog eyes, and his hair all messed up. Kevin right away <laughs> starts running his hand through his hair as she smiles and says, gotcha. She kisses him, then runs off. Kevin watches her go. Then we see him walking with a shot of the lit-up Ferris wheel in the background. Kevin happens upon his family, walking along the beach at night, Jack and Norma walking side by side, Wayne throwing rocks into the surf, and we see Jack extend his hand out to Kieran, and she accepts it. Then wrap, they wrap their arms around each other as they walk. Then Wayne and Norma are walking and hanging on to each other. Then Kevin rushes up and jumps on Jack's back, and Karen grabs Kevin's hand, and they all walk along together. Aww. Now we see them driving back the next day as it's pouring rain. Everyone's asleep, but Jack, who's driving, and Kevin, who's thinking of Terry and smiling. I think it's adorable as Paul kind of nuzzles his head onto Jack's shoulder, and Jack just smiles to himself, chuckling. Then back at home, Kevin greets Winnie as it looks like she's back from Maine. He asks her how she is, then apologizes for her dad moving to Chicago, to which she just replies with a shake of her head and a shrug of the shoulders like, yeah, but what you gonna do kind of attitude. He asks Chip, how's Chip? With an edge to his voice. Like, how's Chip? And then she tells him, they broke up. Guess it was one of those summer things, you know. And Kevin sheepishly smiles, yeah. I love how he excitedly bites his bottom lip at the prospect that Winnie is now available. So, 8th grade, huh? I think it's going to be good, she tells him, smiling. Yeah. Yeah, me too, Kevin agrees. Welcome home, they both say to each other. Kevin's wearing cut-off jeans. In Kevin's bedroom, he reads Terry's letter, stating how Terry was taking driver's training and getting used to driving her dad's stick shift, and how she missed him so much she cried herself to sleep at night. She promised to write him until they saw each other again, and he tells 
how he kept that letter in an old shoebox, and it was the only letter she ever wrote him. We fade out on the nightstand with her letter propped up next to their photo booth photos. That's the end of the episode. Time for my flower power rating. I'm giving it four out of five flower power petals. Kevin's summer romance, Beach Boys music, the family walking together on the beach. Kevin and Winnie reunite at the end of summer. I knocked off one petal because Paul was unnecessary for this episode. The writers could have had him stay on vacation with his family since they used his allergy to write him out of this episode anyway. If he hadn't gone, Kevin still would have met Terry. No one was the worst. I mean, if I had to choose, I'd say Jack's crankiness over the money issue with the rooms and the price of food and telling everyone to have fun, then getting on Karen's case when she shows up late for dinner. I'm happy he does eventually come out at the or come around at the end. Fire Out Thread Award, I'm giving it to Norma. Loved her outfit and her bow. So colorful and outrageous looking. My quote or quotes for this episode are these. Narrator, I knew at that moment that life was not fair. Sure, I'd write to Terry, and maybe she'd write me. Then what? Could we really wait for each other for the next 10 or 12 years? It was hopeless. I'd never felt pain like this before in my entire life. It felt wonderful. The next quote. When you're 13, it's a long way to Albuquerque. Terry told me about getting her learner's permit, taking her first drive with a stick shift. She wrote of our night at the beach. She told me she missed me so much that she cried herself to sleep. And she promised to write me until we saw each other again. I keep that letter in an old shoebox. It was the only letter she ever wrote me. All right, guys, let's try to fly through this last episode, season five, episode one, The Lake, which aired on October 2nd, 1991. We're jumping ahead a full two seasons, and boy, have our guys grown since the last episode. They're in high school. Well, they're going into high school, and they're taller and girl crazier than ever, especially Paul. The Arnolds and Pfeiffers take their annual fishing trip to Lake Winnehatchie. While on the trip, Kevin meets and falls in love with a local girl girl who seems to have a lot in common with him. Like what? What what does he have in common with her now? I don't know. We'll find out. The Arnolds and Pfeiffers renting side-by-side cabins at Lake Winnehatchie for a week in the late summer 1971. So two summers have passed since the last summer. Jack and Elvin, Paul's dad, are fishing off their prospective docks. Elvin is successful in snagging a big fish and proudly shows it off as Jack struggles trying to nab a fish himself. Norma comes down holding a package of hot dogs and asks Jack if he wants hot dogs or hamburgers for dinner. He looks back at her and says, we're having fish. Damn it! As he snags on his line on some seaweed. Kevin's pounding on Paul's cabin door, telling him, Come on, Paul, let's get a move on! We gotta get out of here! The door opens, and Paul's little sister Debbie steps out and grins at Kevin flirtily and says, Hello, Kevin. Now, I haven't gotten to the episode of season two yet where we meet her in the episode Birthday Boy, but I will eventually. Kevin dismisses her, and Paul comes out the door, shoving her out of the way, and the boys take off walking. I might add, now Paul is wearing contacts. Both boys look mighty fine in their cut-off jean shorts. Jack passes them on the way up to the cabin and asks if they want to go fishing. And they, of course, offer no thanks and walk on. Now they're hanging out on the steps of the local general store, sipping their sodas. Paul complains, asking, what happened to this place? It used to be great. Like we're supposed to believe they come here every fucking year? Bullshit. Kevin thinks over the summer, Paul had gained two things. A new set of contact lenses and a new set of hormones. As he demonstrates when he mentions how he could be making time with Julie Zeller. To which Kevin replies, you're dreaming, pal. Yeah, Paul. I can't see your parents being okay with you plowing some girl in your bedroom. Or maybe he meant home in a non-figurative sense. Like, home as in back in their town. He tells Kevin how he probably would have gotten to second base by now and shows off his little 25 cents 25 cent insurance policy which he ended up paying some kid 50 bucks for because the kid found like two dozen of them in a truck stop somewhere. Oh that's nasty. How old and expired are those things? In the uh, his 25 cent insurance policy in the form of a condom which he dangles in Kevin's face just a tr- as a truckload of teens roll up in front of the store. 
You know, now that Paul has contacts and he's finally sans glasses, I can finally see how beautiful his blue eyes are. Were they always blue? Kevin's more interested in the girl who just pulled up in the back of a truck taking a long pull on a soda as Kevin does the same. She kind of reminds me of a hot, if she were a Mary Ingalls, a hot Mary Ingalls if she existed in the 70s. The truck pulls away as her eyes drift over to meet Kevin's. Kevin tells Paul they gotta get out of there and they start walking back to the cabins, but not before Kevin's mind tells us that after three days, even your best friend can start to get on your nerves. Hmm. Now they're all eating lunch or dinner, not sure, maybe lunch. Norma complains how Jack put the pickle jar on too tight. He asked if she'd rather have pickle juice on her back seat. Get pickle juice on her back seat. Is he referring to her ass? I, I'm confused. What's a back seat? Is that a butt? He grabs the jar and tries to untwist it. When unable to, Norma suggests beating against the table, and then Kevin stays out. He's come to the point where he feels like his parents have become blithering idiots as they begin to talk in some other language. Elvin offers Jack some of his fish that he caught, and it looks gross. It's not even clean. I mean, the head is still on it. Did he even cook it? It doesn't even look cooked. It's like he pulled it out of the damn water and put it on a plate and said, Here you go. Jack turns him down on his... He's like, I got my hamburger. I'm good. Tells him, tomorrow I'm going to show you how to catch a real fish. It's not a real fish, Jack? Maybe he plans to nab a whopper of a fish. I see Jack's competitive spirit coming out. He wants to show Elvin up. He turns to Kevin, adding, right, Kev? And Kev just throws up, yeah, whatever, Dad. Yeah. Clearly, Kevin is ready to bolt after three days of family togetherness, which can be stifling on the teenage soul. Just then, Rain, Wayne rolls in. He's got his license now, God help us all, with a shitty beat-to-hell car. And an exhaust pipe that keeps backfiring as the song I Fought the Outlaw, I Fought the Law and the Law, the Law, I Can't Sing Worth a Crap, <laughs> plays overhead. I Fought the Law and the Law One. Wayne and his friend head over to the table and Jack glares at them, telling them they were supposed to be there three hours ago. He, Wayne tells them they took the scenic route as he bites into his burger and he nudges Wart Dave Wartshafter, who adds, Yeah, we took the scenic route, biting into his burger as he sits down next to Jack. Ida, Paul's mother, suggests they all have a campfire and Debbie just grins at Kevin, saying, Sounds good to me, Mom. Wayne tells them it's a no-go for him because he and Wart are going to the drive-in, and Wart chimes in that they're playing Planet of the Apes as he nudges Jack in the arm, who's he's still trying to get that lid off the pickle jar, and he just turns to glare at Wart like, you know, you can leave at any time now. <laughs> Paul smiles and tells Wayne how they'll come with him, and Wayne just looks at Paul like he's growing a second head and tells him, you must be joking. So they're at the drive-in, and Kevin tells the tells us that it cost the boys fifteen bucks that they had to hand over to Wayne and a tank of gas to, just to ride along. Then Wayne screeches to a halt and yells at them to get out. Then he nudges Wart, who says, "Get out!" They're walking around, and then he spots Kara sitting on top of her brother's truck, smoking a cigarette. He suggests to Paul they go out and talk to her. Paul starts to chicken out because they don't know her, and in Kevin's mind, he points out how Mr. Condom in his wallet was afraid to talk to locals, but then they walk over anyway. <clears throat> Kevin, being Mr. Joe Cool, opens with the line, You got another cigarette? She tells him she had to bum the one she has, and then offers him a drag off of hers, and Kel Kevin takes it and, trying to appear like he's been smoking his whole life, takes a drag, then coughs it back, hands it back, and starts coughing up a lung. She looks at him asking, you don't smoke, do you? And he tells her, sometimes. And she tells him he shouldn't, because it doesn't flatter him. She's smiling as she says this. Kevin flirts, oh, and what about you? He, she smiles, saying, I shouldn't either. Let's see, my timer went off. Eh. Sorry, guys. He asks where she's from, and she says, from here. And he jokes, what, the drive-in? And she tells him, no, about a half mile away. He introduces himself as Paul nudges him and he adds that this is Paul. And Kara, Kara, excuse me, Kara not tells them her name. Kara's brother comes up asking if she wants to stay or go and she tells him, tells him whatever. Then she informs Kevin and Paul 
Her brother wants to split, so they take off. Kevin says, maybe I'll see you around again. She's like, maybe. The next day, Kevin and Paul are chilling by the lake as their dads are fishing off the dock, and Jack asks if Kevin wants him to bait a hook for him. And Kevin says, no thanks. Kevin tells Paul that they're going back to the drive-in, and Paul tells him, no way. Kevin, it's all like, come on, we'll all hang out. I'm like, Kevin, you don't need a wingman. Paul's throwing rocks into the lake. He's seems like he's that'd be scaring the fish away. Yeah, right, Paul scoffs. And then Kevin says the magic word. Maybe she has a friend. And Paul looks at him like, a friend? He repeats the word. Okay, he's game now. He's game now. Now they're back at the drive-in, and they meet Kara, who invites them to go to the lake. And Kevin looks at Paul. Then he asks Kara, well, if she has a friend for Paul. She heads off to the snack shack. Asking if the lady behind the counter wants to hang out with Paul, and she agrees. The girl isn't bad looking. I mean, if you like a girl whose face is so caked and painted up in makeup, she has to chisel, chisel it off at night. Paul is out. He's out. As he pulls Kevin aside and saying, it's off. You know, you're my best friend. I'll do anything for you, but please don't ask me to do this. Kevin and Paul, Kevin and Kara leave Paul behind at the drive-in, heading to the lake. See, Paul didn't need to be there. Kevin could have flown solo. He was just going to desert Paul anyway when Kara came around. Kevin and Kara are parked by the lake and are leaning back against the windshield as Kara tells him she's starting high school in the fall and Kevin says, so is he. She can't wait for her license and Kevin agrees. More mobility. He suggests she come up and visit him and she turns to him and smiles saying she'd like that. Kara's brother asks if she wants to go or stay. She tells him to leave them alone. Kevin mentions how he looks out for you, doesn't he? She says, yeah, the guys around here are idiots. Kevin agrees. Then she brings up that summer guys, they're the ones you pretty much learn to stay away from. She pulls a cigarette out of her pack and mentions how her brother hates how she smokes. And Kevin asks, uh, you know, what about your parents? And she tells him, you know, it feels like they're speaking a different language. She looks at him saying, I'm not supposed to trust you, you know. And he asks, do you? And she says, yeah. She goes to light her cigarette, but Kevin offers to light it for her, grabbing the lighter, and then he leans in and kisses her. She smiles at him and says, I thought you were going to light my cigarette. They lean back against the windshield as the song So Happy Together plays overhead, then we're treated to a montage, Kevin actually going fishing with his dad, that is until Kara shows up, and then he heads out. Then we see them talking in the back of a truck as he puts his arm around her. And then they're throwing rocks into the water off the dock. She asks if she'll see him tomorrow night and he tells her, yeah, of course, as he takes her hand in his. The next day, Kevin and Paul are sitting on the dock with their feet in the water when all of a sudden we hear a scream from the cabin. Ida and Debbie run out as Ida screaming Elvin's name demanding to know what this is as she dangles Paul's condom from her fingers. She's got his wallet in her other hand. What the hell is she doing going through his wallet? Unless he left it in his pants that she was going to wash, but then that still doesn't explain why she went through his wallet. I mean, that's personal. You know, at least he's being safe with the condom. Kevin and Paul look back and Paul checks his back pocket. Uh... Alright, a little late for that, Paul. You see, it's in her hand, and she's got your wallet in her other hand. While all this is going on, Jack manages to catch his first fish. It must be his first, the way he's carrying on about it. <clears throat> now the Arnold family and Wart is sitting around the dinner table as Jack serves up that one fish that looks burnt to a crisp and hasn't even been cut up or cleaned. It still has its face. Not to mention, one fish for five people. Jack is so proud of this fish. Norma thanks him and tells the kids they should be proud of their father. And Wayne adds, they've got fish for days. And Wart repeats, yeah, fish for days. Kevin tells him he's got to run and surprised. Norma asks where. And Kevin tells her to the drive-in with Paul. And Wayne breaks the news like, sorry, Paul, a.k.a. Mr. Rubberhead, is grounded for life. And Norma chastises Wayne and tells Kevin... And Kevin tells her he has something to do. Jack stops him cold and starts 
asking, do you know why I brought the whole family up here? Except Karen, of course. I mean, where's she? Because I thought it would be nice for the whole family to spend some time together. Now we caught this fish so they could all enjoy it together. And that this is their last night. He thought they'd spend it together. But Dad, Kevin interjects, Kevin, Jack levels him with a hard stare. I mean it. Jack stands up telling him he can't stay and Jack yells at him, sit down. And Kevin asks why. Jack says, because I said so. And I'm your father. Kevin tells him, I'm sorry, I'm going. As Kevin walks out the door, we hear the screen door slam as the family just sits there in awkward silence. At the drive-in, Kevin and Kara are hanging out in the truck as the song Jamaica Say You Will plays on the radio. BT Dubs, I am choosing this for my favorite song of the episode. I love this song so much, I had downloaded it just because of this episode years ago. He puts his arm around her shoulder and she leans back into him. Kevin mulls over the fact that he's leaving tomorrow and doesn't know how to tell her. He asks what she wants to do tonight and she catches something in his voice because she asks, you're leaving tomorrow, aren't you? Yeah, Kevin admits and just like that she pulls away from him. She says that's too bad and he tells her he'll miss her. He asks what's wrong and she says nothing's wrong. I'll miss you too. He tells her that they can still see each other because he gets his license in a few months and he can drive up maybe on the weekends. And she just says sure. Not believing him. And then she says I gotta hang out with my brother tonight. Kevin feels that he's losing her and tells her don't be like that. You have to know that I want to stay. You have to know that more than anything. Then with nothing more to say he apologizes. She turns to face him, and we see a single tear, uh, a single tear roll down her cheek. And she tells him, I'm not. Then the iconic scene happens as she takes his hand and places it on her breast. Kevin gets to second base, and then he leans in and they kiss. End of episode. Time for my Flower Power episode rating. I am giving this 5 out of 5 Flower Power petals. 1 for meeting Kara. She's so cool. Two, for Jack finally getting that fish. Three, for Paul looking so fine without his glasses, showing off his baby blues. Four, meeting goofball Wart. And five, the song Jamaica Say You Will. This episode is the reason I downloaded that song years ago. The Far Out Threads Award. Not for an outfit per se, but for Paul. He is rocking it without those glasses, looking yummy. No one was the worst this episode. Yay! Maybe Kevin. I don't know. The girl who won the summer girl vote between Kara and Terry. Kara got the vote. She won with two votes. I love her. She's a sweetheart. Congratulations are in order from Joey Garcia 38 from Instagram for answering the trivia question for season 2 episode 17. How I'm spending my summer vacation. I'm making him, you, an honorary Wonderling of the Week. Also, to Carlos Marin for getting all three trivia questions right. And he shared his family vacation. He remembers going to Disneyland. And also the question, what would you do on the first week of summer break? He said when he was a kid, he would go outside and skateboard and go to the swimming pool. Join me this Friday when I discuss Season 2, Episode 5, just between me and you and Kirk and Paul and Carla and Becky. Alright, see you this Friday, and enjoy your summer, Wonderlings. First day of summer. woo I'm excited! Ah! My trip to D.C. with Jeremy is next month. I'm excited. We've never been there before. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. Alright, guys. <laughs>